This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two amazing human beings, Brian Murray. Hello. And our newest, soon-to-be regular occurring guest, Renee Rodriguez. How are you doing, Renee? Tell us who you are, all that stuff. We want people to learn to love you, just as Brian and I have, over the many, many years that we've known you. Hi. <laughs> nice to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but that, that's such a, a nice intro, though, Mike. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, it's no problem, man. Yes. Uh, like Mike said, I know Brian and Mike from college. We were friends in the comic book club, and uh, like them, I read lots of comics and hopefully want to write it one day. Yes. Super excited to read your first comic. Me too. Yeah, Renee, Renee shares a mutual love for Invincible. Uh, we did an old, old episode that you probably can't find anymore because I removed it from the podcast feed where we talked all about Invincible. But I'm sure that as he's on the show more and more, we will talk all about the upcoming end to that amazing series. But Was that was that back when we had a theme song? That was when we had a theme song that I wrote and I recorded on my guitar and it was awful. Um, <laughs> I, I like your songs, Mike. I have one recorded and saved on my computer. Oh, no. <laughs> We're not going to get into that. We're actually going to get into the I Read Comic Books podcast. And I want to ask you both the question that I ask every week. How have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. I've been good. Uh, comics have been good to me. I made it to the shop on Saturday, and they were actually having a board game sale. Neither here nor there, but if you live in Grand Rapids, fall to midnight, they do cool sales. Uh, I picked up all of the Mighty Thor and Wicked and Divine that I've been missing. So I've got a whole bunch of those issues to read. Uh, I haven't gotten to them yet, but I did read Hulk number five, which is kind of like a sort of a transitionary issue, it feels like. Um, I think that in Hulk number six, we're actually going to see Jen Walters in Hulk mode for the first time since this uh, since this comic has started. So that'll be exciting. Uh, I also read Darth Maul number three, which continues to be awesome. Uh, I feel like they're making Darth Maul into way too much of an edgelord for my taste. <laughs> Just like super grim, dark, and like all I want to do is get my vengeance. <laughs> yes, <laughs> man, take take a deep breath, have a character development for a second, and just chill. Yeah, yeah. My favorite thing that I read this week was actually Aliens: Dead Orbit number one. It's written and drawn and created by uh, James Stoko. It perfectly captures the feel of the aliens movies and that's kind of my favorite part about them is that you know they're set they're sci-fi they're set in the far-flung future but they still have this sort of gritty grimy feel to everything i always remember on the, in the alien movie the nostromo is always dripping somewhere and it's, hold on. Is that the name of the like goo that comes out of the alien's mouth? No, the Nostromo is the ship that they're on. In uh, oh, the, okay. The I was super confused. Movie. I was like, is that the alien? <laughs> is that a weird thing? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna have Nick come on and have a talk with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tried watching the first Alien movie and I fell asleep through it. <laughs> that was like when I was eleven. Oh, no. oh, Nick, Nick's gonna be very mad when he hears this episode. This has been Renee. Everybody, you can say goodbye to Renee now. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I, everybody that I follow on Twitter, like who I never would have thought was an Alien fan, was super excited about this book. I'm glad that you dug it because I heard that it's just incredible. Yeah, it's it's real good, and I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it. 
What about you, Renee? What about me? What? What have you been reading, Renee? How have you been? All those types of questions. Yeah, yeah, right. Sorry, I just got lost in Brian's voice. It's it's so sweet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been good. Comics have been good to me, as usual. Um, I've been doing a lot of ordering online, though, or like uh, getting trades, mostly because of just gifts and stuff like that. Sure. But uh, most recently picked up uh, a couple manga. This is what I this that's my lifeblood is manga. So I, mm-hmm. I picked up so, a lot of good stuff the other day, including a uh, Platinum End, which is the new series by the guys that made Death Note. That's a good one. Um, oh, nice. Picked up Brian K. Vaughn's masterpiece Paper Girls, though that was like my my uh, one like really good comic thing, and uh, I can't even begin to express how much I love that book. Really, I I if I can can focus on that for a second i feel like i've been reading this month to month so like single issues and i feel like i've just been super lost does this read really well as a trade over single issues only through trade i think it's fantastic it's absolutely fun like i I think part of like not understanding what's going on is part of the fun of it but i could see how like just going it like month by month would be really really confusing but also like sort of like what yeah. that's it yeah. that's all we're getting this yeah. month no i'm in the same boat you are mike i've been reading it month to month i think i'm definitely going to keep picking it up as volumes because it's sort of like it's more like watching like a full episode of something instead of just like teaser trailers gotcha but i mean yeah so paper girls has been my jam and lately tokyo ghoul has been what i'm all about which is a really good one very cool yeah, well, for me this week, I I sat down. I've been like all over the place, all over the country. I went to Virginia, which is why I wasn't here last week, and uh, so I haven't had any time to uh, read anything because I've been trying to plan to move. So a lot of my comics that I've had sitting in backlog, like physical books, are now packed away, and so I haven't had a lot of time to read things. But I did get through a couple digital books. I did read Bitch Planet number ten, and the only thing I can say about that book is, goddamn. Like I was really frustrated with the wait for the this most recent issue, but oh my goodness, this is a like fantastic just smack in the head to remind you why you're reading this book. Bitch Planet is top notch, top tier comics right now. Um, I will gladly wait a lot of time for the next issue if that's what it's got to come down to. Um, I read the three X Men books that have come out recently, <laughs> which is Weapon X number two. X-Men Gold number two and X-Men Blue number two and of the three the one that I will talk about is X-Men Blue where we get the scoop about how the formerly original X-Men who are now trapped in the present turns out they can't go back to the past because of some question mark that we're not really sure of we get a scoop about Magneto we get to figure out why this team of mutants who are working with their you know greatest arch nemesis and the ending of this book was very surprising, and but at the same time, as, as I was reading it, all I could say to myself was, um, I guess, whatever you say, Jean Grey, I guess we can trust Magneto, we all know that he's gonna turn on us. The entire team is saying that to her, and I'm like totally with them, except for she's the team leader, and she's read Magneto's mind, so she says, you know what, I think, I think he's actually being honest, he wants to help us. So I'm just waiting for that twist, and then the end of the issue said some, it did some things, now I'm just waiting for this arc to come to an end because, oh boy, it's gonna be it's gonna be a doozy. I'm very excited. Teenagers are great judges of character, and that <laughs> yeah. uh, we can definitely count on teenage Jean Grey to lead this team <laughs> to success. 
<laughs> you know, and, and you know the thing is though, I I do like Jean Grey as the team leader. I think it's a cool twist on the whole original team. But time and time again, we've seen this character portrayed making bad judgment calls like since she showed up in the Brian Michael Bendis run of All New X Men. So I I don't know if this was an intentional thing of uh, or whatever, but it seems like she's maybe getting off to a bad start with judgment calls regarding Magneto, but everything else she's kicking butt at. So maybe I'm just setting my setting the story up to fail in my head and it turns out things are going to be all right, but it's Magneto. Like that's like what else can you say? Uh, he so we'll was see. Right. <laughs> oh no. Oh, don't get into that. We don't have time for that today. We've... Dude, for 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 a second I thought you said I dude like Jean Grey and I was like, "What is dude like?" And then I was like, "Oh no, he says I do like." Yeah. Why would I ever say dude like? I don't know. Um, all right. There's a bunch of new slang that I don't know that the kids say nowadays. <laughs> for real. Everyone at my work tells me I'm like super old and I'm like, I'm not. I just don't you're not. understand what you're saying to me. <laughs> okay, well, moving on. Comic books are released on May the 3rd, 2017. What are you both excited for? We, we're actually going to be, this week is a Goodreads week, so we didn't talk about the book that we're going to read, that we all read this week, so thank you guys for not bringing it up. I don't know why I'm saying this, but anyways, Brian, <laughs> what are you excited for this upcoming week? Let us know. I'm going to kind of continue on the theme of my uh, my Aliens pick from last week with Predator Hunters number 1. Uh, this is written by Chris Warner with art by Francisco Ruiz Velasco. And from the descriptions that I've read online, it sounds like it's going to be Predator, the aliens, coming to Earth to hunt humans. But it sounds <laughs> like the humans are going to kind of like turn the tables on them and wind up hunting them. And... <laughs> I'm always a fan of like stuff getting kind of turned on its ear like that. So I'm very interested to see how this is going to turn out. Um, it's quite honestly a 180 from every Predator comic I've ever read. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm intrigued by the idea of seeing the Predators as something other than these, you know, omnipotent space Vikings. I mean, other than Predators. Oh, Again, thanks for being on the it show, Renee. There. I'm really glad I that you showed to. up. <laughs> no, it's fair. I can't leave low-hanging fruit lying around and not expect somebody to pick it up. All right. Renee, what are you excited for this week? I am excited for Haikyuu Volume 11, which comes out May 2nd, and is story and art by Haruichi Furudate. And it's a, for those of you that don't know, it's a manga about um, volleyball, which doesn't sound that interesting to a lot of people because it's like sports manga. That's a weird thing. And the thing is, I really like it because I played sports and it sort of, it feels like you're back in it and you get that all kind of adrenaline rush type thing. And I also super hardcore love volleyball and anything that can just tell me more about volleyball and make me feel like I'm on the court is really what I want. And it's also having read through the series before and also watched the anime on Crunchyroll, I know that it's going to be heading in this super awesome direction and I'm just really excited to own it and add it to my collection. Right. So for, for so we don't talk about a lot of manga on the show, um, but could you tell us a little bit about like haiku? Like it's a it's about volleyball, but I guess what sets it apart from other manga out there that are about sports? I realize other sp- sports volleyball was not was a was a excuse me was what I was going to say, but uh, I think haiku is there's something special about this book, right? Well, uh, it's one. It's haiku, not haiku. 
Haikyuu. Haikyuu, which is literally just the Japanese word for volleyball. So the story is really just volleyball because there's an exclamation point. But um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a uh, it's pretty different, especially from uh, most of the shonen manga because it's actually it is published by Shonen Jump, and most shonen manga is just lots of battle stuff and really heavy stories, and and uh, it really just focuses on this on the main the one main character and his you know, adventures. And then you also have a couple cool characters, but with Haikyuu, even though you do, you sort of have two protagonists, but the entire team, you know, them all in and out. And, uh, one of my favorite things about the story is that the, uh, the writer, uh, Haruichi Furudate actually focuses on the other teams. And so you sort of feel like, you know, every single team that the main characters are playing against. And even though you're glad that the main team wins, you sort of feel that same sort of frustration and defeat because you know that other team and their reasoning for everything. And uh, so I really love that. But also just the art is so incredible. And mm-hmm. it, it sort of feels like you're watching something happen in, in motion, even though it's literally just a still drawing. And it sort of reminded me of Dragon Ball Z because uh, Akira Toriyama would uh, draw things in a specific way to make your your eyes follow the movement so it felt like you were actually watching someone get punched in the face. And it, so it's it's really kind of similar to that. And that's what I really love about it. And the art is just dazzling, really. Even just like Google that's some of the images, it's great. Awesome. Yeah, that's that sounds cool. Oh, this is one of those books that I've been told by multiple like manga fans that I need to read. If, if I don't read, if I read any sports manga, this is the one I need to read, supposedly. So I will definitely be checking this out. I know it's 11 volumes in. Uh, well, for me this week, I am actually, this may come to a, sh- a surprise to a lot of people, I'm actually really excited for the Black Bolt series that starts this week. Black Bolt number one, written by Saladin Ahmed, Ahmed. I, I don't know how to say it. I'm I'm really sorry about that, uh, with art by Christian Ward. Uh, I don't know what this book's going to be about. I don't know what the status of Black Bolt is as a character. I know that he's in jail, I think, and... I know that there was some weird Inhuman stuff that was going on. Medusa is now like leading the Inhumans. So where Black Bolt, who is the former king, um, sits is really up in the air. So all I know is that Christian Ward is on this book, and I'm totally on board for that with his art, at least for an issue, maybe a whole arc. We'll see. Would you say you're on board with Ward? Absolutely. I'm this sorry. is why we have you on the show. You know what? This is uh, thank you for coming, Renee. I really appreciate you here with the puns. Sorry, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's a fine. I love it. <laughs> Did you know that May is Lupus Awareness Month? Lupus is one of America's least recognized major diseases, affecting more than 1.5 million Americans. It's more common than cystic fibrosis leukemia, muscular dystrophy, and multiple sclerosis combined. Lupus is a chronic autoimmune disease that causes the immune system to attack the body's own connective tissues and organs. This includes joints, kidneys, heart, lungs, brain, blood, and skin. To find out more about lupus and how you can help, please visit the Lupus Foundation of America online at lupus.org. Our topic for the show this week is a Goodreads pick of the month from the I Read Comic Books group over at Goodreads.com. Kate, our magnificent moderator, took a randomized list of all the suggestions for this week's pick, 
and took the top six off of the randomized list, and everyone voted. And the vote this week was The Spire by Simon Spurrier, Jeff Stokely, Andre May, and Steve Wands. And that is writer, artist, colors, and letters. So, I think between myself, Renee, and Brian, we all sat down and read this book, and we've got quite a bit of thought about what this book was, how we felt about it, and all sorts of things. So, I'm going to throw it to Renee to start. What did you think of The Spire and everything that went along with it? This is an eight-issue miniseries, and personally, I think eight issues was enough. So... What about you? And this conversation will be full of spoilers. Oh, full of spoilers. Oh, my goodness, as we always do. Full spoilers for the Spire. <laughs> Spire spoilers. Uh, anywho, what I thought about it was actually, I thought that eight issues was too small for it. Um, I thought that, I first of all, I would love to say that Simon Spurrier did a fantastic job of world building here, even though if at first I was super confused about anything and it took like literally everything really, I think about till issue five or six that I really understood what the world was like and the way things that really worked. Like you sort of just are sort of guessing at how things go and it isn't really till about halfway through the series that you're like, all right, I think I fully understand this, but I think that there's so much more for it to go that I was kind of like left a little bit dissatisfied because I was like, wow, there's so much more that I want to know about this world. But at the same time, I kind of like that because I want I, I, I think you can always come back to it. So, I mean, that was I, oh, I kind of like that. But I really like mainly just the world building that happened in this book. I don't know how you guys felt about that. Yeah, I thought that it could have used more world building just because we kind of got a, we got a bunch of stuff about the. Uh, uh, what are they? The the tithe bound, I think they called them, something like that. Yeah, I yeah, think that sounds right. It's the the various non-humanish people. The the skews or the skewers, whatever they're called. Sculpted. The sculpted. sculpted. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I'm using the dirty word for them. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's one of those things. Like I thought that was the most interesting thing that this book brought to bear was the sculpted and the different cultures that have arisen from a world where there are sculpted people and i don't think that we got nearly enough about them a lot of them are just kind of thrown in seemingly for the look at the freak factor of it all sure yeah no i would i would agree with that and uh definitely like how they they have to give their oath to the spire and it sort of sounds like they're doing it purely for trade but like uh, at the same point i it really more seemed like it was for the good of the spire instead of like what they need from the spire. I didn't really get anything like that other than that. Some of them can live in there if they so choose, but at the same time that almost seems like a punishment because they're just treated like garbage the entire time. Yeah. There's, there's certainly some interesting power dynamic discussions that can be had. Yeah. There was a weird like offhand comment that I, that I read where like some of the people decided to live out in the desert, but a lot of them came to the city for refuge for whatever reason. But again, to your, your point, Renee, like they, even if they came to live in the city, they were treated as second class citizens a lot of the time. And I mean, I think that was very apparent in the last bits of the book where, you know, the new Baroness, she decided, you know, that the, everyone has their utility and blah, blah, blah. And there were there, the entire group of religious people that lived out in the desert that said, you know, these skews or these sculpted, they have their use mostly in death, which is 
awful. Like just thinking about the outside of this book, hearing anyone say that about another person or group of people, that's just pure evil. Yeah, like even half the time they referred to the sculpted as monsters or those or those things, that. And like there was even um, that one sculpted that uh, Shaw meets in, I don't even remember, one of the lower tiers who puts on fake eyes so that, you know, it fits in so that it doesn't make people uncomfortable or that people are more willing to trust it while it's selling its wares and things like that. You know, just the fact that something has to be done like that is sort of monstrous and... I mean, there's a there's definitely a lot of that kind of material in there, and I think it it is really really good. But at the same time, I remember reading this, and I was just really just like, man, this is very very heavy. On that totally, and it's and it's very true to life. I mean, that's 100 yeah. percent how things would go. Yeah, actually, I I found myself like really upset half the time reading this, and I was like, why are you guys making me read this? So, in in classic, I read comic books, Goodreads fashion. Um, we didn't give anyone a synopsis or anything about what this book is. So, Brian, could you give us a quick synopsis about what the Spire is about, so we can continue our discussion with a little context? <laughs> yeah, sure. My bad. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's all right. I totally jumped in as usual without thinking about it. So, the Spire takes place in a fantasy world where there is some kind of toxic event um and it's never explained what happened or if it's always been this way but the air is more or less toxic to non-sculpted people uh they have to wear air masks outside except sometimes when they don't um which is a whole other thing i could get into but there is a heavily tiered social structure where people on the lower levels of the spire serve as kind of an underclass to those in the upper levels of the spire. Uh, mixed in with all that, we have a group of people referred to as the sculpted, or skews is the slur that gets thrown around by the high and mighty of the spire. Um, this book follows Shah, who is a in a position analogous to a police captain and her efforts to solve a string of grisly murders that have begun to take place. Uh, along the way, she uncovers a vast conspiracy going to the highest levels of the Spire government. Yeah, on top of a handful of weird and strange things that are that like just the world is built on. There, There's a mix of these sculpted, which are people who are they're humanoids in some sense they're humanoids but they're not humans i don't think they're like human evolved i think they're just a new a series of new races of people that have particular gifts for instance there is a um person that that uh, renee and brian were talking about that he is a i believe he's made out of some kind of plant um or fungus um but he's living he can speak uh, but he doesn't see out of eyes he uses you know spores or something to see but instead he wears a mask and he puts a he puts fake eyes on the mask so as to not freak out the like humans like you and yeah. like ourselves his idea is um, that which, if he gives humans eyes to make eye contact with they're more likely to deal with them exactly and there's a handful of other different races i think there's there's this messenger group of people and i don't know oh, if they I were fucking hate or those sculpted. guys they, they, I don't know if they were sculpted or if they were something else, but they're like very small, human-looking um, people. 
and they they're, speak in the weirdest way and they're just like these they look like giant like caricatures you'd see in a weird political cartoon they've got you know huge bulbous eyes tiny little legs and arms and big like monstrous heads uh, they're very strange they I, look like opinion. monster cherubs oh cherubs yeah that's a good that's a good way to describe them but yeah, they're propelled, they a they're lot propelled of by farts yeah 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 <laughs> like even like even the main one pug i love his name his like full name is like puganini or something like that <laughs> yeah so so we meet shaw and shaw has this she has this messenger that she's you know his name is pug who kind of works as a quote-unquote volunteer deputy as part of the city guard and pug becomes an integral part of the story as he becomes one of the messengers that has to lead a group of people to the city um basically for this 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 uh, ceremony of of allegiance that all of the outside or people who live outside of the spire have to attribute to back to the people who live in the spire because their most recent baron has died and a new baron is taking over. So everyone else has to you know basically give fealty over to the new baron um, using the quote unquote old ways of weird sacrifice and things like that. And Pug is Pug has to lead a group of what are they called? They're Medusae. And uh, they're the group of people that have like these weird string things that come out of them that use that yeah. act as extra arms they're and really legs. Cool. And they're really cool. They're tentacles, but they look almost like spider silk. Yeah. And our main character, Shaw, she also is one of these people, but she's lived in the Spire for quite a long time, and she has no memory of her life before coming to the Spire, which becomes a center point of the story. So, um,. I think there's there's more to be said about the story, but I, let's uh, let's look at the art for a second. I I really like Jeff Stokely's work on this book. I think that he captured a lot of landscapes really really well. Like for instance, one of the people um, on our Goodreads group, his name is Alex. Um, he said, or I'm sorry, Kate said this. Kate, who typically is on the show, Kate said um, Stokely's art brings brings the spire to life with incredible character design and detail. The vibrant color work, which is done by Andre May. Um, makes it all feel alive and humming with energy. Um, I totally agree with Kate on this. I thought that the art is fantastic. It's It feels a little cartoony in a way, but his landscapes were unbelievably detailed. I loved that, it's like getting wide shots of the story, especially on the covers, you get a lot of that wide shot as well. Um, what did you guys think? That's interesting. I actually felt the exact opposite about oh, really? the, mention, the mention to design and detail. Um. It definitely felt to me like details were not a priority in this book, especially with characters. Um, there were times where, and maybe this is part of this is probably a flaw with the way in which I was reading this book. I checked it out through Hoopla, an app on my phone that connects to your local library and allows you to download digital comics as well as audiobooks and other things. But I was using their guided view to read this. And okay, so I may have been looking a lot more closely at individual panels in not instead of seeing each page as its own thing. But I remember there were okay. times where I would see a character's face and it would just be this, you know, flesh tone oval with a circle for the mouth and a pair of circles for the eyes and not even like shaded circles, just little black circles that represented eyes. Mhm. Mhm. I'm not I'm not an artist and I'm not trying to say that that is a bad way to have done things. It's one of those where I'm sure that 
seeing a character drawn like that in one corner of a large panel probably wouldn't have stood out to me. But because I was getting that up-close look from the guided view, it definitely showed me that while there are these breathtaking shots of the spire and of you know the wastelands around it, the characters themselves were sometimes completely uninteresting and basically undrawn. Gotcha. I, I would say I'd, I'd have to agree with uh, with Brian there is that a lot of the times, especially with the human characters, like, you know, it sort of felt like there was um, like they seemed very cartoony and uh, it 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 just kind of like threw me off. Like I was just kind of like, oh, I, I, it made me feel like this is going to be a lighthearted story or maybe that it was going to seem goofy. And it's really very intense. And that kind of threw me. And the only time that I really felt that the artwork worked for it was with those landscapes or when we looked at the sculpted because it sort of because with that cartoony feel somehow it made them feel more alive like they were like living things like they were almost moving and um the same thing with the coloring like I loved the coloring except for like it felt really really light like they were using a light palette and it sort of made everything feel more like fluffy and again it's very very heavy in 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 just the story and all the subtext and everything like that. Uh, except for when they did the flashbacks to the events that happened 30 years prior, everything was much darker and they used a lot right. more, more red. And I thought that fit the tone perfectly. And I, I loved that, but like there were some moments where like uh, Shaw's chasing people and it's a lot of really bright colors and a lot of things happening. And it sort of, feel like I'm on an adventure and you know things are going to work out but you know everything is awful <laughs> so it just right, sort of right. sort of kept throwing me yeah you know it's really funny that you you bring up that lightheartedness because I definitely thought the same thing about this book but I didn't let it get to me I guess as I continued the story um and to your to both of your points about this looking I, I like the faces and stuff you know this actually reminded me a lot of like the way that faces are drawn through um uh, the Studio Ghibli stuff, like uh, for instance, like Princess Mononoke, or what's what's the book with the or the 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 movie with uh, the like monster that comes out of it's all black and he's got the white mask on. Um, oh, what is Spirited this? Away? Spirit is it Spirited Away? With the, the like, it's got the white mask and it like drops coins and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it's constantly way. hungry. Yeah, so it, the faces in this comic actually reminded me a lot of the faces from that movie, and, which I, to me was like, that movie was super lighthearted, but also really dark in the same in the same way. So I think like mentally, I just like said, it's okay to be bright and colorful, but tell a dark story at the same time. And so I don't know, I, I guess that didn't rub me the wrong way too much. But but to your point, Brian, I could totally see the whole rounded face thing. I I also read it in Guided View through Comixology, um, and there are some definitely some panels that are much that are very small where you lose a lot of detail, um, unfortunately. So I don't know if, what else to what else to say about that. Um, I don't but, know how you guys do Guided View. That's crazy. How we read it in Guided View? Yeah, I can't do that. You got to really? remember that I was reading at an iPhone SE screen. So, oh, okay. So you needed a magnifying glass almost. Okay. Yes. Uh, oh, man, see guided view for me works really well because I I don't I I read on desktop, right? So if I'm reading on my desktop computer, I've got a decent sized monitor, um and at times that means that very small panels get blown up way beyond what they were meant to be viewed at. 
Um, and so you get some blurriness and you get some weird JPEGification of images. But on the whole, I think it does a good way, a good job of like moving you through the story. And if I feel like I disagree with the way that the guided view is going, I just pop right out into full page mode and then I read it myself and zoom however I feel like it. But um, on the whole, I think, I mean, guided view totally works for me. I, I've been a fan of it for a very long time. Yeah, I, I remember actually, uh, this is when I lived with Zimzam, and he would read um, through the guided view all the time, and I just, I hated it. I, I don't like the way that it follows, because it sort of disrupts the way that I read. And uh, so when I was reading The Spire, especially with the way that the art happens, and I, I liked reading it in a full page view, because it sort of just goes with the flow of the story. Totally. And uh, the guided view just kept messing that up for me because I did try it for a little bit in this, but I was like, no, I need some full page and I need to go at it at my own pace. And I think it worked out well for me, but I did catch what Brian was saying sometimes about the faces, specifically with Shaw's deputy. Oh yeah. I feel like he was just a blob most of the time. Deputy milk. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So a great name for a character. Deputy. Yeah. There, I think there was a lot of, I think, there was a lot of really fun characters in this book. I think that Simon Spurrier, like he totally nailed giving a lot of like giving Shaw like this very big personality throughout the whole book. But I think he also did a pretty solid job of, you know, distinguishing various people and, and having them fit different tropes within like a detective story. You know, like there's the bureaucratic jerk who's constantly wants to see Shaw's papers, um, which is like a running joke throughout the book. And, you know, we've got her deputy who's this kind of in, in easily intimidated. The well-meaning um, but kind of bumbling deputy. Yeah, ex- <laughs> yeah, that's a perfect way to describe it. And then you've got, you know, the messengers. Becomes the captain at the end. Yeah. You've got these messengers that are these weird bumbling dummies that, like, are disgusting and, and strange. And everyone kind of knows it, but they're a necessity to the spire. Um, which I know, Brian, you have a lot of you have a lot of thoughts. Nothing on, but, would make me happier uh, than seeing those guys wiped out. Oh well, that, my that goodness! That didn't get happen, right? When they were given the uh, couriers a bunch of crap, and then Shaw just beats the living piss out of them. Yeah, that was a great series of panels. Like they didn't even show the fight; they just showed the aftermath, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. So, and Alex from the Goodreads group said Shaw was a good character that e- that was easily the best thing about the book. Her full circle transformation in confidence, sexuality, and personality really was fun to watch. And I totally agree with that. Like, from beginning to end, I think Shaw, while she didn't grow monumentally, she definitely did grow as a character. And by the end of the book, you know, with the the whole revelation that, uh, like we said before, spoilers, um, the revelation that Shaw was another person, and in fact she was a man and is the father of the new Baroness, um, was quite a serious twist, and her accepting that fact and saying, I have to disappear, and I'm sorry to her um, girlfriend, um, whose name is escaping me, Mina or Mira? Mira. I mean, Mira. Um, was kind of a, was an interesting way to end the book. I thought that there was, like, given the, you know, quote-unquote happy-go-lucky look, I was kind of expecting a happier ending. Um, and in the end, it was just a, it was kind of a, it was a resolution that, leaves you a little sour but ultimately you know that the right thing was done which i think is how a good detective story should end mira who yeah, is I, the yeah. daughter of her lover from her previous life yeah um yeah which yeah is weird. i was gonna say did her sexuality really change i thought it pretty much stayed the same because she's still into girls so well yeah, i guess i mean there's there's a conversation to be had about it whether or not you know it's it's entirely possible that in shah's past life um that 
Shaw was transgender. Is kind of how how I read that's, it. Yeah, that's true. yeah, and I mean in the story, Shaw was at one point a man. If if I'm yeah, if I read that correctly, yeah, and later transformed into a woman who be who Shaw is in the story. Um, There's, so in Shaw's didn't know where she was or how she came to the spire. It was because she had been to the spire, um, had been a like lover of the Marianess. I I don't know how to say that Marchioness. Uh, I think Marchioness. Thank you. Uh, and then after realizing that she could, didn't want to commit to this whole thing, decided to change herself completely, which is like an ongoing discussion throughout the book that these people, the uh, Medusa, have the ability to change their looks and potentially their entire personalities and their sel- themselves completely um, with enough willpower. And that is exactly what Shaw did, which is kind of hinted at throughout the book, which I thought was... A pretty cool thing to see as we met other Medusa and we saw that they would completely change themselves into blank slates to be essentially sacrificial um, uh, army men for the Spire, which is a whole big thing as yeah, part of the that was the, like the agreement. The Medusa's tribute, essentially. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So they they definitely they, I think Spurrier laid enough of foreshadowing about that uh, throughout the story. Um, Constantly hinting at it and Shaw avoiding the discussion until the very end of the book. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting, um, Mike. What you said that you were like you you uh, were surprised that like uh, about the ending because I kind of saw that that was like the only way that it could end. Although I was expecting Shaw to die instead, so the fact that she's still alive I thought was really really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that leaves that leaves it open for more things to happen, even for like them to hunt her down or something like that. So I actually expected her to like either kill herself or to have her lover kill her. And I was like, oh, she's still alive. She's a she's now just a, a, a oh, what is that called? Uh, a common enemy for all of them. Yeah, I, I I wish that I wish that Shah had died at the end. <laughs> really i think that that would have been a much more compelling ending than the one that we got no, i agree wholeheartedly mostly really oh, oh i want to hear why then my biggest problem is with uh mira's reaction to everything mostly because in one of the earlier issues we find out that shah is you know at, at the very youngest shah is in her 60s or 70s but the Medusae are incredibly long-lived, and so she appears as young as she always has. And when Mira finds out, she is understandably upset to discover that her lover is, you know, 30-odd years her senior. Um, but then when we find out that her lover is also her sister's father and used to sleep with her mother as a man. Uh, Mira is sort of fine with that and actually shoots her own sister, which didn't make any sense to me. At the very least, we should have seen Mira be more upset, if not outright shooting Shah. Yeah. Yeah, especially since her mother did die protecting Shah too from from her sister yeah i mean the the bigger i think the bigger message in the story was they they, she was killing the the bigotry that her sister was setting up you know this entire aspire to essentially believe in because we saw the news headlines right before that which were blaming all of the problems and all the issues on the sculpted 
and by stopping her sister's reign, she essentially was able to prevent this this wave of bigotry from sweeping over the spire and could instead, you know, as becoming the new baroness, she could fix that by saying, no, 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 we need to fully open our borders. We need to, you know, be completely open and welcoming of these people because they are people. Um, whereas her sister was starting to blame all of the problems of the spire on the sculpted. Um, but I, I, I do like there is some character problems there because Mira, I was I also was very surprised at how not upset Mira was about the whole thing, even though we did get that last panel of her sitting on the throne, just looking numb, like she had the thousand yard stare, just accepting what was happening, accepting what had just happened to her. Um, but we didn't get a, a real serious reaction from her, which is unfortunate. Like I would have liked a couple more pages of reaction from her. Um, or at least a small conversation of some sort between her and Shah, um, rather than just everything just quickly happening and the book being over, which almost felt like the last bit of the issue was rushed, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely thought that the ending to this series was churned out much more quickly than some of the other parts had been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I felt like we were we were definitely like coming to a point you know, and, and like there was a lot of really good buildup. And so I, I remember uh, when Mike first told me about that we were reading this and I, he was like, it's eight issues. And so I'm reading it when I got to like issue five and six, I was like, there's no way that they're going to wrap this up in eight. And then they did. And I was like, oh, oh, that's the ending. And that's why I kind of like I, I am sort of like thinking or at least hoping that they do at least some sort of follow up or even just like a side story. They don't even have to include all the characters, but like at least get some. So it needs to go somewhere because I just it just kind of ended really really abruptly. Yeah, if I were to if I were to write some kind of follow up to this, I would love to see the story where Shah, you know, flees the citadel or the spire and goes out to live with the Medusae or with some other tribe of sculpted out in this wasteland, and then we kind of learn about their culture and about what the world is like for people who aren't in the spire. I think that yeah. would be a really interesting way to continue exploring this world that they've built. Yeah, especially since the intro would have to be her going back to the leader of the Medusae who she stole the eye of and you know there's a whole thing about she she tried to get the their leader of the Medusae tried to get Shaw to be killed. And so I'm sure she's not going to let that go and that's a problem that would have to be solved if she does go and join the rest of the Medusae. Yeah, there was a lot of leftover questions, I think, in this book about, you know, like, basically of everything that wasn't involved in the story, you know, like all of the different world building things that they had done, they didn't, like Spurrier didn't really wrap up. And I'm sure that was intentional. Like, I, he could yeah. have spent another four issues wrapping up all the different pieces of this story. Um, but if, if we were to get a follow up to the Spire, I mean, I would hope to see some of those closed, even if it was just like a four or six issue miniseries to kind of give us a little more flavor to the world. Because I, I ultimately I did like the weird world that the, the whole story took place in. I thought there was it was a lot of there's a lot of really interesting potential um, to discuss. I think like to your point, Brian, like what does everyone outside of the spire do? We got a very very small hint of that with the um, with the religious folks whose name I can't remember. Um, and yeah, it starts with like a Z, we, but I can't think of it either. <laughs> yeah, terms. Next time, I'll just write down all the crazy terms from a Simon Spurrier comic, and that'll be most of my notes. Um, <laughs> I, I grew numb to those very, very quickly. 
Yeah. It was like, and this is my second read through in the book, right? I read this month to month and I remember it being very hard to follow month to month because there was so much, you know, jargon being thrown around. And it's kind of one of those things that you get in weird novels or you get in um, a lot of like weird outsider comics like this where they throw around all these things and you kind of just got to roll with the punches because they're not really going to describe it. And you can kind of assume a little bit of what they mean. Um, and you, like it's just the, the jargon of the world, which yes, creates an atmosphere and does a little bit of world building for you. But I thought that with the Spire, it was a little overwhelming at the beginning. And as they start to use it more and more over eight issues, you start to get the under, you start to understand what they mean by a lot of these things. But it definitely can be overwhelming and kind of like too much sometimes. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with that. But nonetheless, I. I, I read this book, you know, like I said, for the second time, it made a lot more sense. And reading it all, like from the begin from beginning to end in a sitting, helped a ton with clarification, which is kind of unfortunate because I really like Simon Spurrier as a writer. And I think that with all of his other books that I've read, I've never really had this problem before. Even something like Six Gun Gorilla, which I read, um, I guess I read that in a sitting as well. But even that, like a book like that, which is another book that he did from Boom. Um, it didn't have as heavy-handed weirdness as this one did, even though it's about a gorilla who shoots guns. Um, <laughs> and that's just a regular thing in comparison, I guess. There were definitely certain elements of this book where my eyes kind of glazed over, and I just moved on to the next thing. I know there was <laughs> several pages that was just two of those imp courier guys talking to each other. Yeah. And I could not process their speech it like if it was a short enough speech bubble i could kind of force it into something that sounded like english in my head but between the lack of punctuation and the weird like they would do sort of like weird misspellings of things which i i mm -hmm. i recognize as an attempt to to give a an accent or a dialect or something to these characters sure but there there were times when it was almost completely illegible and that's coming to it with 20 odd years of experience reading the english language i, yeah. I, can, I can't imagine what it must be like for someone who maybe is learning english or whose english isn't great trying to read this book uh that, that seems like it would be a, a nightmare scenario oh yeah the, the way that Pug and the other messengers spoke was written in such a way that it's something that Simon Spurrier does in a lot of his books where he, and this is a, this goes like a combination of Simon Spurrier as a writer and Steve Wands as the letterer, um, where they would, you know, they would mix and mash like low, all lowercase and all uppercase and like small text and large text to try to give that idea of someone fumbling with their words, which I thought was really cool. But I think to your point, Brian, that would be really jarring to someone who doesn't understand like the i think like the flow of comic books or maybe i don't know like i know there's a word for it and i want to say rhetoric but i don't think that that's what it is um just like the way that comic books are written and the way that they're lettered can be 
very interesting. I think it's cool for people that are well versed in comics, but for someone that like coming to this book the first time, I think they'd be very confused. But I do love the stylistic choice they made for some of the lettering. Like when someone was saying something under their breath or they were saying it quietly to another person, it'd be in all like in it'd be in smaller text and it would be in gray or something like that to try to give you this that that sense that you would you would feel in like a TV show where someone says something quietly that only the audience is supposed to hear. I, yeah. I thought that was really cool. I I liked that. I liked mechanically like the way they did it. I thought it was super yeah. cool. I would have liked it if it happened about 80% less than it yes, actually it does. So overused in the book. Oh my goodness. Sure, sure. Uh, there were I mean there were whole whole speech bubbles that were this like small light gray text that I had to like squint and lean in to actually be able to read. And again, part of that was might have been the method in which I was reading it. But yeah, this and this is where one of the limitations of digital like is very apparent, right? I think this would this reads a lot better in print um, when you're looking at something like that. But yeah, there were points at which I made the choice just not to read one of some of those word bubbles because mm-hmm. I knew by that point that nothing of consequence was going to be said in that, and it wasn't sure. worth the strain <laughs> to my mind or my eyes to try and process it. Right. Yeah, no, it was it was more like like the bubbles were there just to be like, hey, Shaw's witty and I'm like, uh, okay, it's issue five. I know. Okay. Yeah, like somebody somebody's <laughs> we, somebody's we could, we could probably something. dial it back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can I can totally see that. See, this is this is where I become incredibly biased because Simon Spurrier wrote one of my favorite comic books of all time and so he can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. So now I'm my bias is showing. It's it's very gross. I need to put some aloe on it. Well, man, I mean, I like Greg Mottola as a director, but even I kind of, you know, get really weird when people want to talk about Paul as a movie. So, I mean. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just as an example. That's a weird movie to be like anyone would want to talk to you about because exactly but exactly because um, people are like oh what's a director you're like i'm like i really like greg motola i think he does a great use of color and you know motion and he's really fantastic at setting up scenes and people are like well what about paul is like we don't have to talk about paul <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> or, not that or, this is simon spurrier's version of paul but you know or his i, I understand i'm what just i'm just saying <laughs> I'm just saying bias has like a level, you know. So overall, you know, if you guys had to say, would you recommend this book to anyone? Or if you, I should say, if you wouldn't, that's fine. But if you would, who would you recommend this book to? I would recommend this book to anybody who can get their hands on the first issue without dropping money on it. Okay. Just because I think that there is a lot of value in this story, but it's not for everyone. And I don't want to recommend sure. that somebody runs out and drops, you know, 25, 30 bucks on the trade paperback of this or something and then finds out that they don't like it, that they can't stand, you know, the, the things that I've been complaining about. If you can get your hands on this book from the library or borrow it from a friend, I definitely encourage you to do that. And if you like it, you know, go out and pick up a copy, support the creators. But it's a gamble. It's a risk. You know, Buy, buying this trade is going to be you taking a chance on buying something that you might not like at all. Gotcha. What about you, Renee? Uh, well, I mean, like like what Brian said where, uh, about library, I'm like, if you can find it at the library, then absolutely get it and read it. It's it kind of how I feel about like some, some movies. You're like, it's, it's definitely a rental, you know. 
Um, sure. But I, I think I agree that what you said earlier, Mike, that I think that it probably reads better uh, as a physical copy. Um, but I mean, I, I'm not upset that I that I paid money for this. But then again, I bought it digitally, so I didn't pay like 20 bucks for it. I would yeah. say it's if you have the opportunity to read it, definitely read it. But at the same time, it's it's not one of those series that I'm like, oh, dude, you need to absolutely go out and buy this. This is a must read. I, I would just say, I would say, you know, if you have the opportunity, give it a chance. If you don't like it by like issue two, you're probably not going to like the rest of it. Even though I think that the uh, around issue five through seven, I think is its strongest point. If you don't, if you're not at least interested by the second issue, it's really not for you. Gotcha. Uh, before I give my final recommendation, I will say Alex from the Goodreads group, his sum up was pretty nice. Um, he said, it's not a bad book. It's just not my book. Generally, I enjoy these types of world building storylines and I don't have trouble jumping right in. The Spire just felt like a chore for me. I really had to push myself to finish the book and sincerely wondered that if it weren't for my newfound addiction to this group, I would have finished it. Which is, I'm glad that he's very, you know, interested in reading the books that we're doing on the group. Um, but I yeah, think that sure. that's, that sounds like what you guys are kind of saying here. Like, maybe give it a try. If you're not going to be hooked on the first two issues, it's probably not for you. I personally think that... Uh, that this book is is pretty fantastic. I like the overall story about, um, you know, welcoming welcoming others and and things like that. Things that are different aren't necessarily bad, and people are people. They're not just utility. And uh, but on the whole, I think I, I'm pretty biased. I really like Spurrier's writing. I'm a big fan of his little word bubble play that he does. Um, and again, I have to credit Steve Wands for making that happen in this book as whoever does it for his other books, like it's a huge chore, I'm pretty sure. And specifically at Marvel, where Marvel usually doesn't do that kind of stuff. So um, I'm a huge fan. I recommend this book. But again, your mileage may vary. Simon Spurrier can be an interesting writer. He's He's got a lot of fun and he constantly likes to insert his Britishness slash Scottishness, I believe he's Scottish, um, into his stories. And I think you can feel that a little bit in this book and anything else that he's read. So The Spire, I mean, hey, this is a it's a solid eight-issue eight, eight issue series, I think. Like, if you like world building, this is definitely one of those for the books. I, I think it's interesting, though, that you said that you, uh, that you got a positive vibe from it about the, uh, about, like, you know, treating everyone as human sort of thing. Because I sort of got a a negative vibe about how it, how it's sort of like, this is the world that they live in this is the world we live in there's always going to be this negativity type thing and even though the world did turn around it left a really bad taste in my mouth but like i i didn't really see any of those problems going away i sort of just felt like people are going to think lesser of these people that they view as you know lesser and that's not really going to stop and it's just really more problems and i think maybe that has something to do with how i felt about it but I think it's really interesting gotcha. that you took that positive spin on it instead because I really didn't. Well, I think that the the positive spin that I took away from it is that like progress isn't doesn't happen overnight. Um, but it's it's like the it's one person could potentially sway an entire community, and you know it's like I think before you know Mira's sister who was the Baroness who died, um, you know she was leaning it more towards the the you know Haiti the hate side where she was trying to push out all these these sculpted, whereas Mira's side was she is you know tried to lean the spire in towards like helping these people and accepting them and and bringing them into the spire as part of the community so i mean yes it wasn't like an, a solve all for everything but it is progress in the in the right direction um something that they said that mira's father 
had i guess the the previous baron he was more accepting of the sculpted and um mira was mira being the new baroness um could then continue that legacy so hopefully you know the the hope is at the end of the book that there would be a more positive outcome for the sculpted and they would be more accepted in the community but um we won't know we we can't know that's the end of the book what did you think brian about that ending i didn't really Oh, okay. I'll be honest. By the by, the end, I was sort of just ready for it to be done. Gotcha. So you took kind of the same standpoint as Alex here, which is totally okay. I mean, everything that we pick, you know, these types of stuff that we read, it, they're not all going to be winners. They're not winners for everybody. So that's that's totally fine. Yeah. No, I was definitely in a position where if if I wasn't going to be discussing it on this podcast in an hour and a half, I, I might not have even finished the spire. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) So check out the spire. Maybe question mark. Thanks for listening to the I Read Comic Books podcast. This episode was produced by me, Mike Rappin, with editing by Xander Riggs. Special thanks this week to Brian Murray and Renee Rodriguez. The music in this episode is brought to you by our favorite band in the universe, Infinity Shred. You can find Infinity Shred at infinityshred.com, as well as on Bandcamp at infinityshred.bandcamp.com. If you enjoy the show, tell someone about it. Write us online. Write to us. Each person you tell about the show and each rating you give lends a little more exposure to the show and helps us grow. And we love five stars as much as we love you, and that's quite a bit. You can email us at ircb at destroythesibe.org, and if you want to talk comics with us, find the I Read Comic Books group on Goodreads. We have a monthly book club that we feature here on the show this week, and we have regular threads about what comics we've been reading. If you want your thoughts on the book we're reading to be read on the show, make sure you join the group and comment. You can ask us questions and comment on each episode at our subreddit, ireadcomicbooks.reddit.com. The entire podcast team is on Twitter, and you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast for updates and ridiculous retweets. But a great way to experience the podcast, including our back issue bin of episodes and our weekly pull list posting, is visit us at our website, ircb.us. Until next time, from all of us here at the podcast, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening.